A couple of weeks ago, we started this series entitled uh, Friendology around the topic of friendships. In particular, uh, we talked about this idea of what it means to become better disciples by becoming better friends. In fact, we set this premise that we actually become better disciples of Jesus by engaging in becoming better friends. And today I want to end this series talking specifically to those of us who are Christians. So uh, if you're someone who doesn't believe everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, you can kind of listen in and you can go, huh, I wonder what these people who call themselves Christians and who think like the scripture is true for their lives think about friendships and God and all that stuff. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, this, this message is like 100% for you today. And more importantly, what I want to communicate to those of you who have entrusted me over the years to be some type of pastoral figure in your life, uh, what I want to communicate to you today is really, really important. And what is that? Simply put, that you and I need to become better at building friendships with people because making disciples of all nations actually requires us to do so. If we want to be the kind of church, if we want to be the kind of people, if the church wants to reclaim this idea of being Jesus Christ in the world, in today's world that we live in, we want to be good mission, uh, missiologists in, 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 in this everyday spheres of our influence, we have to become better at being friends. Just so it's clear, this idea of making disciples is something that every follower of Christ is called to. If you've been part of clarity for any number of time, you hear us read this verse like all the time, but it's true. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says this. It's kind of like one of his parting words, one of his last teachings to his guys, and he just says this. He says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus taught that this making of disciples was a reconciliation of people to God the Father through him. If you didn't know that, this idea of making disciples was, was something that Jesus taught often about, it wasn't just this idea of making people that live like me, that's true, but ultimately the idea of a disciple is someone who has submitted their life to God in such a way that now their life, which was at enmity with God, which is like at odds with God because of their life, of living life their way and, and how they wanted to live, but now was reconciled with God. John chapter 14, uh, if you're in 15 where I told you to go, if you look just the chapter before, if you go John chapter 14, you'll see this in, in verse 6. Uh, actually, let me just start back in the beginning of verse 1. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If I'm not told you, uh, if, 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 uh, if not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. And this is like really good news. I mean, think about it. And, and I mean, the idea that Jesus is looking to his guys and saying, look, I am going to prepare a place for you. I know you're troubled because I told you all this stuff, you know, about me going away and all this stuff. But listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you know that place I'm going. Now, Thomas uh, one of his disciples was probably like, yeah, yeah. And then when Jesus got to the you know where I'm going part, this is where we see 
him actually calling out, and look at this is what this Thomas says. Look at this, he says. Um, uh, Lord, Thomas said, <laughs> we don't actually know where you're going. <laughs> we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what Jesus says here in reply is actually really, really important. And this is the crux of what it means to be a disciple. Listen to this. He says this. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Oops. <laughs> My page turned. He says this. Where are you going? He says, I'm not on the wrong page. <laughs> Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You know what the funny thing is, uh, at least the scriptures and John's account of this conversation, you don't hear any other conversation about like where you're going. And I think that's really important because when you know who you're going to be spending eternity with, the where doesn't matter so much. And Jesus told them, he said to them, the way to make disciples is this idea of being reconciled with God. A disciple is this person who knows who God is. And by the way, if you want to know who God is, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Right? But in order to really know Jesus, it is important for us to live our lives like Jesus. It actually is important. In 1 John 2, 3 to 6, John writes this. This is how we know that we know him, Jesus, this being Jesus. If we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he'd walk. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he has walked. And this is kind of the idea. So we have this model of who Jesus is through the scripture. We have a call to discipleship from the one who called us to follow him. And then we have a commission, every one of us, to make disciples. It's very, very clear. This is what our life is about. Yes, each of us has a special calling. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are HVAC people. Some of you are computer gurus who literally have an email called computerguru at whatever gmail.com, right? And so, right? so we all have these different vocations. We fill these different roles. We work in the medical field. We are post office or whatever. We work in the National Guard or whatever. But at the end of the day, if we who love and follow Jesus can recognize this reality that each of us has called to make disciples, and how do we do that? We live life like Jesus. And what does a disciple look like? 
A disciple looks like someone who knows Jesus, who looks like Jesus. It's really that simple. One of the things we look at when we look at the life of Jesus, and we've talked about this over the series, and so I don't want to rehash all of it over again, so, uh, but the life of Jesus is one that demonstrates friendship. It, remain, it demonstrates friendship. Some of you remember John 1.1 1, 1 tells us this idea that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the rest of John 1 tells us this idea that Jesus literally came. He came, became flesh, uh, you know, flesh with us, or as uh, Daniel always hates us, I say, God in a body, they think that's corny. But the, but the idea that he became flesh and he dwelt among us, this idea is that Jesus extended friendship towards us. He became like us so he could understand us, so that he can become friends with us and then therefore make the connection to our hearts about who God is. You see, in the Old Testament, the prophets tried to proclaim just by the word of God, this is what God wants. This is what he de- declares. This is what he desires. And for a little while, the children of Israel, they were able to like fix their ways, right? They were able to, like, oh, okay, God, sorry, we don't want all this kind of stuff. They fixed their ways, but evidently, but eventually what would happen? Eventually what would happen? They would what? Turn. They would turn. And so God, in his great wisdom, he knew, I didn't need to send my word through the prophets anymore. I literally need to send the word. I need to send myself. And so he sent Jesus. And this brings us to our passage of scripture here in verse uh, nine of chapter 15. We, we really started this series looking at this and this is what Jesus had said to his disciples. And I want us to look at this together just one last time and, and then I'll kind of wrap it up and, and talk about this idea of what does it mean to, to have friendship and, and disciple making work together and really this is the ultimate to me, the ultimate reason why those of us who follow Jesus need to become better friends. Here's what it says. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So it's right, we get this constant theme already through the scripture. Like those who know Jesus, those who love Jesus, what, keep his commands, they do what he says. Okay, so we have all this kind of stuff. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so why do we obey? We don't just obey because, you know, God is awesome and God is great and he should be obeyed. That is true. But we obey and we have the ability, mostly because Jesus demonstrated that he in this life, who lived life in our shoes, he could obey. And so therefore, you and I can obey. And he says this in verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another. As I have loved you, no greater love has no no one has greater love than this to, to lay down his life for his what friends. Okay, if you don't have friends, you can't demonstrate the no greater love. Okay, it, it just it's something that that comes with it. But Jesus goes on and says this: You are my friends if you do. What I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from the Father. And this is the crux of what we started off. We started talking about how this informs us, how we are to make friends. We talked about the basic building blocks of friendship and Proverbs, how it talks about how, you know, friends need to be sacrificial. They need to have candor. They need to, um, they need to, oh, goodness gracious, I forgot all my points. What is it? Awareness. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, they need to have awareness, right? This idea of awareness. 
But Jesus talks about this thing right here. He says this. He goes, I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. And this is like super important. This is the whole reason why we decided to jump into this idea of talking about friendships because I fear that the greatest threat to coming out of the other side of COVID for us as a church is missing the opportunity to re-engage in the art of friendship. Because if we miss that, then we actually miss the opportunity that I think God, and I really think there's a great opportunity. People have been lonely. People have been without friendships. They've been with, and, and they're starving. And, and what they don't actually realize is they, they, they've been starving for true friendship with God. Now, if you're not a Jesus person, that always that sounds presumptuous, but when you look at the scriptures, it's so clear. And I think we can miss this. In fact, I've missed it in the past. I, I know over 10 years ago, my wife and I lived in this house in Maple Grove. At the time, we only had two kids, so it was just Brennan and Emily, and we lived next to uh, this this couple. They were they had parents. They were a couple about like my parents' age, so my in-laws' age, and they had an adult son who was living in the house with them, right? And and I remember um, they. You know, as a good neighbor, as good neighbors, they were pretty good with their neighbors. We used to make fun of them because uh, our yards weren't very big. <laughs> our yards weren't very big, and the, 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 the husband, he had this huge, like, riding mower. And he would, like, go, and that was, like, the end of the yard. <laughs> but it was, like, this huge, and, and we used to kind of laugh and, like, oh, look at them. But they were actually pretty good. They, they mowed their lawn on a regular basis. And then in the winter, right, you know, they shoveled their driveway, right, because that's what it means to be a good neighbor in Minnesota, right? We, you shovel your driveway, you, you, you mow your lawn, and, 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 that, and that and so forth. And so they were a pretty good, pretty good uh, neighbor, but uh, there, was a, there was one winter where things changed, I, I remember uh, it was the first, snow, first big snowfall, and they had usually jer- shoveled their driveway, and they didn't shovel their driveway. And we just noticed, like, man, they're really slacking on the driveway. And in fact, we wouldn't see anyone really shovel the driveway, but we would just notice that, at least in the mornings, that someone had shoveled it at its minimal. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, minimal, just to get out of the driveway. Do you, some of you do that? Or, okay. So, uh, if that's you, don't, don't admit it. And then in the spring, it was weird because I, I didn't really see, we didn't really see them out in the lawn as much. And in fact, um, you know, this really well manicured lawn and they, they were really big on planting trees and they had like a little garden in the back and I mean, they were like, they were all about it. Uh, this, what was a really well manicured lawn became this lawn overridden with weeds and dandelions and all that kind of stuff and and in fact I was it was so bad I was I was tempted to like weed and feed it myself I was like honey I'm just thinking I'm gonna go over there and just like spray some of the weeds as I passed by it and just when I had about enough I watched my neighbor um my 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 neighbor's wife was she was out there with like the pump thing spraying all the little little weeds and then the next day there were these brown spots all over the yard. She, as I would find out later, she, she used Roundup <laughs> to, to kill the weeds. Um, 
And so I, I quickly realized that uh, she had not used the right kind of stuff. And uh, this is where the story, story shifts. Uh, you should know that we live next to them and we never really talked with them. We just did the like the, hi, hi neighbor. Hi. And you know what I'm talking about? Like the, hi. So it wasn't like we ignored them, but we definitely didn't engage with them. Definitely didn't get. I didn't know anything about them. I don't know, um, but just seemed like, hey, hey, hey. But we definitely talked about them a lot, especially once the weeds started popping up and the lawn and the, and the snow wasn't being shoveled. We talked about them a lot. But uh, one day after walking through her yard, I actually <clears throat> we had like this three season porch where we'd sit, and their house was to the left of us and. I watched her walk out to the yard and she literally did this. She walked out and she looked at the yard and she went like this. <laughs> like looking at her yard with all of the brown spots. Because, you know, she, I just, I mean, she, she, it looked terrible. I mean, there were brown spots all over. Just, she had just killed her yard. And, and I decided that maybe, maybe I, should go out, I should go out there. I should probably see if I can help. So I went out there and I talked to her and I was like, hey, uh, so you had a weed problem. She's like, oh, and, you know, and we just went and talked about it. And she showed me, I'm like, well, what did you use? And, you know, she showed me that she used the weed and feed. And she's like, oh, I, I just, I feel so overwhelmed. I just don't know what, I just know what I'm doing. And, you know, I just, I just don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, and I also should mention that over, over this time, I'd stopped seeing the husband around and, you know, we had made some assumptions, you know, maybe he'd left or maybe he had, you know, moved away for work or something like that. But we didn't really know. We didn't really know what happened. And um, I wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't going to be like, so where's your husband at? Because <laughs> uh, I wasn't there. I wasn't like a friend or anything. I was just a neighbor. And so we got done talking in the garage and I was literally like, so here's what you want to do. You want to use Bayer's weed killer. You don't want to use, you want to use the one that's just for the broadleaf. And I'm telling her all this kind of stuff. So, all right, you got that? She's like, okay, okay, thank you, thank you. I was like, all right, all right, I'm going to go. I, I was trimming my yard at the time. I'm going to go back trim my yard. So I turned around. And then um, she said something that to this day, I, I still, I still remember like it was yesterday in, in a soft faint voice. She said, thank you for your help. And I turned around. I was like, I was going to say, you're welcome. And she said, you know, it's been tough since my husband had died to keep up with everything because he was the one who did all this stuff. And I just remembered, I just remembered, I, I, I had no words. <laughs> I couldn't say anything. All I could say was, I am so sorry. I asked her when it happened, and she told me he passed away at the end of last summer. He had gone in for shoulder pain, and the doctor originally thought it was some type of arthritis. But the treatment he prescribed wasn't working, and so they went back to the doctor again, and they took some x-rays, and things didn't look, like, look right. And when they did a CT scan, they had found out why. Cancer had overtaken the bone marrow, in his arm and was actually spreading through his whole body. And from the day that they got that news to the day that he died was only four months. That explains 
why things looked a little disheveled during the winter. I'll be honest with you, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I didn't ask what happened to him when we noticed he was gone, but like I said, being that he was about the same age as my parents, um, I kind of naturally assumed a a number of things, but not that he had died. I didn't know what to say. The conversation was so uncomfortable, and I think most of all, I was just embarrassed that I had never invested enough into the relationship with my neighbor to had been informed or at least been told that my neighbor had passed away. So I did what any good pastor would do. I, I said, I, can, I, can I pray with you? And she said yes. And so I, I extended my hand, you know, kind of do like, oh, let's pray. And this short Chinese little lady just grabbed my neck and started crying. And I prayed. I did the best I could. You know, in that moment where I reached out, asked if I could pray, finally just crossed that line, all the uneasiness and uncomfortableness I I was feeling and embarrassment, it it really did it. It kind of melted away and I was overcome by love and by compassion. Now I tell you that story, and some of you actually might have heard that story. Um, It's been a while since I've told that story. But that story literally changed me. And it changed the way that God was leading me to live intentionally towards helping people understand the love of God that I experience, but also helping people understand how much God loves and cares for them. In fact, it would be like not too far from the truth that it, to admit that in that moment, in that moment, Clarity Church, this idea of this new church, began. It was birthed out of that gift of a moment in my life that an insatiable desire was put in my heart and, and what my family's life would look like to be part of a community of people who live to bring clarity of who Christ is into the avenues of everyone within their spheres of influence. Because whether you realize this or not, God has placed you in a sphere of influence. I don't know if you know that or not. No longer again was I going to miss the call and the opportunity to make steps in not just being neighborly, not just being acquaintance, but actually being the kind of person who earns the reputation and ability to have access into the life of people that my life regularly touches that I could be called a friend. Good news is this. We eventually... uh, well, not, the good news is not that we moved from there, but the, uh, we eventually moved from there, but we moved from there with a new sense of seeing and understanding how God wanted us to live our lives. 
And we began to change the way that we looked at our circles of influence. And so at a new home and a new neighborhood, this lesson that we learned because of this situation taught us the importance of doing the work of building friendships with the people in our circles of influence so that when again, believe us or not, at our new house, our spouse, the, the spouse of our neighbor died again of cancer, which, by the way, if you ever wanted to live next to me, I'd probably not, you know, suggest it. I don't, we don't have a good track record. So. But anyway, that's besides the point. But when my neighbor's wife died of cancer, we were invited to walk through that terrible, terrible heartache and pain. And we had built the kind of relationship, earned the kind of reputation to even um, be asked to be the only non-family member to be a part of that funeral. Brian, my neighbor, he Phil, I just, you know, we'd be honored if you'd come and you'd just read scripture and pray. And I'm like, yeah, Brian, whatever, man, whatever I could do for you. It's the reason why we're intentional about building sincere and genuine relationships with our new neighbors. Now we live in another neighborhood, but guess what? Brian still calls me. I still go over there and visit. But now we live in another neighborhood. And, and I've told some of you this, some of you who are in my community, but we've taken this mindset now into our newer neighborhood and now have been even more set on this idea of what does it mean to, to take advantage of the opportunities God's given us to build relationships with our neighbors. So much that I found myself being hugged by a neighbor who, <laughs> in always politically, socially, religiously, is nothing like me. And we're doing our part to not only just be neighborly, but to build friendships. Why do I mention this? Because I think it's worth getting better at being friends with the people in your circles of influence. I think sometimes we could walk with blinders from moment to moment and not understand that God has put you in situations with certain people because you may be, as colloquially said, the only Bible that some of these people will ever read. You will be the only access of who Jesus is. Some of us just don't care. And I think the hope of this series is that we would become people who care deeply about people. That we would Learn what it means to be friendly. And it's with a cause. Because God has called each of us to make disciples. And while there is a time and a place for, you know, confrontational evangelism, as I call it, street preaching, all that kind of stuff, you will find that in today's world, people are more likely to come to faith in Christ because of someone they know and trust. They don't, you don't have to look like them. <laughs> look, earning reputation with those who are, people are not like you 
doesn't mean you have to become like them. Jesus was nothing like the people he ministered to, but they liked him, right? And so you don't have to, to, to sacrifice that, but can we show genuine sacrifice? Can we show awareness? Can we get to know people? Danielle talked, like we, we gave you this tool of like understanding you don't have to use the Enneagram, you don't have to use Myers-Briggs, but you need to be self-aware. Like how do you come off to people? Do you know your neighbor enough? Do you know the people, you know your coworker? Do you know that person in the cubicle next to you enough to know what makes them tick so you don't offend them unnecessarily, that you don't give up influence unnecessarily? It's worth getting better at being a friend because that's how we get better at making disciples. And if that trite little phrase from my own brain isn't enough for you. The Apostle Paul said it like this. After writing a letter and in this letter talking about praying for the opportunities to share the gospel, you just read it yourself. You can read it in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul says this. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious. It's assuming that you're having conversations. Hello is not a conversation. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive, seasoned with salt, as some translations would say, so that you will have the right response, the right response for everyone. I would hope that we as followers of Jesus show up like Jesus, as Jesus would, in every sphere of influence we have. This is the call, and it's hard. Because I'm busy, you're busy. I don't know if I really have time. But one day we will have rest with Jesus. One day there will be no more tears, no more sorrow. One day we will be in that mansion with many rooms. But until that day, we work. We live out the realities of what it means to follow Jesus. Because this is what he's called us to do. To be friends. To share the gospel.